This is the interview. The interview every weekday on Radio Now, ninety-five point three FM. As a director or CEO of many Nigerian-based local and multinational companies, including Guinness PLC and Promasador, British-born Keith Richards is a long-standing member of the Nigerian corporate scene. He has developed, however, he has developed a close bond with the wider Nigerian community at odds with his purely commercial role. Having been traveling to or residing in Nigeria for over 30 years, he's also the author of the book, Never Quite the Insider, about his experience in Nigeria. On the interview today, Radio Now's S.I. Ohumu speaks with him. She starts by asking him what Nigeria looks like from an outsider's perspective. Nigeria is an enigma wrapped up in a conundrum, in a box of contradictions. You know, Nigeria is the best place and the worst place. I find it very interesting that Nigeria has some amazing people. In fact, many, many amazing people. You know, you just have a look at the number of doctors and scientists that are operating in the US who are Nigerian or of Nigerian uh, extraction to see the capability. And then also, you just, you know, if you live in Lagos, well, in, in fact, anywhere in Nigeria, you see how ordinary people struggle in very difficult conditions. And yet, you know, they keep a sense of humor and intelligence. Nigerians are always have an opinion about what's going on in Nigeria and the rest of the world. And so I have huge admiration for, for Nigerians. And yet, these great people have one of the most dysfunctional political systems in the world and they seem to put up with it and recently had we had the SARS uprisings in uh, Lekki at the toll gate and then around the place if you compare that to Arab Spring there should have been an uprising everywhere but Nigerians just seem that resilience is a strength but it's also a downside that they seem willing to put up with this dysfunctional political system. I, I do see what you mean, but I think also that may be a thing we are shedding, this um, re resilience that makes us so quiet in the face of repeated atrocities from the government and from the political elite, really. So I, I want to talk a little bit now about your work with the Orile Igamu Progressive Youth Association, right, um, which was in charge of basically just um notorious lagos ghettos how did that come about what was your experience there well uh after i left guinness and um so this was in about 2006 2007 i was writing a column for business day newspaper i wrote some columns that were critical of um lagos state government and i talked a bit about the lack of opportunity for use and unemployment and there was an email address on, at the bottom of the column and then I got a contact from the Aureli uh, Igamu Progressive Youth Movement, OIPA um, was their um, name and they said you know we, we appreciate what you wrote but they said you know have you ever actually been to you know, a ghetto area in Lagos. Well, a actually, I had because Guinness is not drunk by Ajabotas on VI. It's drunk in 
the townships and local areas. So I used to visit bars and enjoy them. But I said, you know, well, let me come and visit. So they said, okay, I should meet them in Cyril area, Chicken Republic, and, and, and I should get in their car because the roads would be too bad for my car. So I met them and I got in their car and I remember thinking, this could be a really bad idea, you know, this could be my kidnap now. Um, but we went into a really and we went into a, a hall and there were like 200 people waiting for me and I was the guest speaker at a meeting. And uh, so we, we had a, a great conversation and, you know, I got to understand what they were trying to do and that they achieved a lot by mobilizing as a community. The, they became a force that politicians had to take notice. So, you know, over the years, um, because that community have worked together, they've, they've had some major improvements to their drainage and ditches. They've had some roads. You know, I'm not saying that area is, you know, gentrified at all, but there's definitely been a significant improvement. And they also, they did things, you know, they had football teams to engage the youth. They had female health education for young girls and young women. And then they had a computer school which ran for and still runs today for years in which they they taught use um, computer skills, both, you know, um, how to um, just use things like Word and Microsoft and Excel and, you know, even some basic programming. So um, some of their youths went out and managed to graduate and get into Lagos Tech or Poly uh, State Polytechnic or, um, or even get some jobs in, in companies. So I was really impressed with them. And we're still in touch today. You know, if I come to Lagos, I'll definitely have a Guinness with um, Bode and the guys that run um, OIPA. All right, so let's talk a little bit now about some of the um, companies you have headed in Nigeria. Um, you've got Guinness, you've got Promacidor, you've got John Holt. But also, really, what I find really interesting is that you're a founding member of Green Cycle Nigeria. And I know, uh, um, and stats show that um, FMCG companies um, are especially notorious when it comes to relations with the environment. So how are you a CEO? How have you been a CEO or a managing director at these companies that pollute and also been a founding member of Green Cycle? How do you, was one, did one occur as a result of having seen things from the other side? How did that come about and how do you juggle this um, seeming love for the environment as well as being a part of the corporate world that, that wreaks havoc on it really? Well, the first thing, you're absolutely right that um, many um, uh, corporates in Nigeria have a very poor track record on the environment. But um, when I was at the helm of both Guinness and Promacidor, we, we, we did do quite a great deal. So, for example, you know, when I was at Guinness, we spent millions on um, effluent treatment, which we did when I was in Promacidor. Um, and... 
later on in in Promestador 2, we spent a lot of time working with uh, La Sepa, for example, to try and make sure that our uh, waste as far as possible was uh, collected. Uh, could I have done more? Um, possibly. Um, but I think, you know, it, it did give me some insight. So, in fact, Green Cycle was, was an idea of my son who was um, in his early 20s and very interested in um, the environmental damage done by computers and about the dumping of computers from Europe into Nigeria. And so he came over and he did some research and looked at, um, at that issue. And we tried to uh, put together a company to uh, encourage people not to just dump their computers, but to allow them to be stripped and the various component parts recycled. There are a dozen different types of plastic in a laptop. You've got several different types of metal and some of the metals are worth good money. And we tried to look, I mean, this was my son predominantly and I was advising him uh, look at how you would export those metals to get value and ultimately pay for the kind of local recycling. And in fact, uh, George employed at one stage about 10 news from Aurelie Igamu. So they came out of the computer college and he trained them how to take laptops apart safely not burn them, um, you know, and do things that are damaging to the environment. But unfortunately, like so many things, the um, the regulatory environment was very poor. So um, what was really needed was for um, Nesria and um, the government to force, it's what they call extended producer responsibility. That is the people that produce should be made responsible uh, um, for their own environmental damage and be made to take responsibility for it. And that was very weak. From what you've said, I've caught on to two things. So I'll ask the first one and then following that, I'll ask the next one. So you raised very valid points about um, Niger companies in Nigeria, multinationals as well as local companies, um, not being responsible enough. You were at one point voted the seventh most respected CEO in a PwC poll. You have a lot of um, influence. What you say in the Nigerian um, business space matters. And you have been there and you have listed all of these problems. So I'd like to talk a little bit about solutions because issues with the environment have very real consequences. A lot of them fuel a lot of the security concerns that we are seeing today. You cannot talk about the pastoralist clashes with um, communities without talking about droughts in the north. You know, so I'd really like to just hear from you what you think the solutions are in this space that you have been in for a really, really long time? How can multinationals do better? Um, how can the government do better? You know, you raise the issue of corporates and government. So first of all, corporates, they're driven by the bottom line. And despite their PR and their CSR programs, and so you need 
strong regulatory environment from government to force them to do it. I mean, if you just look at what's gone on in the US in the last few years, you know, Obama put in place um, some strong uh, regulatory environments on the environment, and then Donald Trump unwinds them in favor of big business. And then Biden is now going back to put those regulations back in place. You need strong a strong uh, regulatory environment. So, um, but also knowing what you know, to... knowing what you know about how the government in Nigeria works, right? So I I don't think that we can use places like America yeah. as the. How do we work with what we have? <laughs> well. Yeah, that that's the difficult thing is working working with what we have because what we have is not going to help us achieve a great deal. There's there's an Irish adage if you ask an Irishman in the countryside, how do I get to this place? He would say he will say to you, "Oh, well I wouldn't be starting from here now." You know? Um and you know, if you were going to say how to improve Nigeria, you would say, well, you've got to change where you start from now. And you have to start to change the political environment because without changes in attitude. So, just, so you know, you mentioned the, um, the issue with the herdsmen. The trouble is when the conversation is polarized around tribe or race and everybody comes from predetermined positions you're not going to find a solution the ultimate cause of that is climate change until you know nigerian legislators get off their posturing and look at the genuine causes and and try to look at what is the best solution i have to say i'm more concerned about nigeria as a friend of nigeria today than i have been since i first went in 1981 or 1982 because people have been saying nigeria is full of potential that potential is still unrealized um it's reliance on oil and gas that while the legislators have their head in the sand and believe that they're going to live off the fat of oil and gas indefinitely that's not going to happen there there needs to be you know a genuine change and I don't see it happening because climate change is going to make these issues worse it's going to mean um, there will be more displaced people looking to move away from the Chad Basin away from the Sahel we're going to have people from Mali and Chad and Niger coming across the borders you know it's going to cause problems right across um, you know, some of the arable land in the middle belt will start uh, turning into to desert. That was Keith Richards, British author of the book Never Quite the Insider, and long-standing member of the Nigerian corporate scene, talking to Radio Now's SI Uhumu about his experience in Nigeria, Nigeria's problems and solutions. For Radio Now, I am Tommy Ulubimi. <laughs> The Interview The Interview Every weekday on Radio Now 95.3 FM